Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Joining us right now, this is an extraordinary story, and it's quite a beautiful book, is a woman, Karen V. Johnson, who um, is brilliant and went to Georgetown Law and did all these amazing things, or Georgetown University, was a Rhodes Scholar, became a lifetime appointee federal judge, which is no small feat in and of itself, was a member of the military, and had the most tragic thing happen to one that one can have happen, which is the loss of a child. And in this case, the loss of a 27-year-old son named Ben to a heroin overdose, which, which just shattered her world. And we can relate to that. Uh, but then what Karen decided to do afterwards and the journey that she took spiritually and physically and metaphysically is really a fascinating one, and she's written a book about it called Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. Judge Johnson, your honor, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Hi. Would you prefer that I address you as Karen, or would you still prefer the, uh, the, uh, oh, no, the your Karen, honor? Please. That's another lifetime. You know, I feel like I've had many incarnations in this lifetime, and so I'm no longer that. Okay. All right. Well, all right, Karen. So um, I'm going to begin with your book itself. And on, page, okay. uh, and on page 31, there's a quote that I want to tell you I found familiar, and I'll tell you why in a moment. It's called, okay. pain, is, pain is Inevitable, Suffering is Optional, Unknown, Unknown Author, and No Mud, No Lotus, and I can't pronounce the author's name. I can't pronounce I'm going to butcher it. It's like Thich Nat Han. I can't pronounce it. Trick Nat Han. Trick Nat. Okay, thank you. When I speak Vietnamese or Thai, I'll understand yeah, yeah. it better. Yeah. So anyway, and the reason I know the second one, Karen, is because I am obsessed with K-drama. Okay? Obsessed with Korean drama. Mm. And No Mud, No Lotus was a, almost its own chapter of a brilliant recent K-drama called The Alchemy of Souls. Wow. Right? And you're, you're using the word alchemy in your book 
Tell yes. us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about what that quote means, Mud and Lotus. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, um, right. So, the, if you think about it, you've got this really dirty pond that's muddy, not very pretty, but out of that mud comes this beautiful flower that we recognize as a symbol of spiritual life. And so that is a metaphor. We, as we are lost in the mud and the darkness, um, then we have this opportunity to become a lotus, to transform. And that transformative experience is so important. And it's one of the practices in my book is called indigenous alchemy. So what does that mean? An innate desire for transformation. We all have that. And as we stay stuck in our grief, despair, loss, hopelessness, it really manifests that energy uh, can make us sick. So we really, we really are hardwired for transformation. I'm really okay. So Karen, there's so I'm I'm dying to really chat with you. Can you tell I'm I'm ahead of myself here? First of all, how, how do we pronounce? Shaman or shaman? How is the word S-H-A-M-A-N pronounced? Shaman. Shaman. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And what and what is a shaman? So a shaman uh, in traditional societies, there have been shamans all over the world. And the word itself comes from um, the Eastern uh, Europe. But, and it just it covers these people who actually, those of us who work um on the energy body and who do things like journeying to the past and journeying to the future to help people heal themselves so that it's represented by that symbol E equals MC squared energy and matter. So shamans walk on the equal sign. We're always going between the worlds of energy and matter to, to find answers to people's pain and hopelessness. You became a shaman, but later in your book, it is said to you that you've always been one, but didn't recognize that. So Karen Johnson, how do you go from the world that is so, and, and you put it here so brilliantly and beautifully in your book, so full of people who are victims blaming others for their plight. And I love what you wrote about that because it's so true. Um, it is so true, and, and I live in that very rational world right now as an attorney. And how do you go from that to the leap that takes you into another dimension? Tell us your wow. story. Sure. So for me, it was death. Death is a doorway for many people. Some people come to their spiritual practices with ease and grace. Some of us need something like a big illness or death or loss for us to be Um, kicked into our spiritual path. And so that's what happened to me with this death of my 27-year-old son from a heroin overdose. So losing him opened a doorway that I wouldn't have been able to see before because he came to me. I could see him, feel him hovering around me and still do. Um, And that introduced me to the concept that there really is life after death. And if before his passing, I would have told you live is alive dead is dead that's all there is (laughs) um and i didn't really believe in much more and i didn't have much of a spiritual path and i would have said show me the evidence show me the evidence Mm -hmm. and so i think maybe this was 
the universe, spirit, God, whatever you, you want to call it's way of saying, okay, here's the evidence you asked for. So, yeah. so that's what happened with me. And I, I was out of town. I was in South Korea, and I got the call from a detective, you know, the call you never want to get. And it took me 24 hours to get home, which was just crazy. And What were you doing in South Korea? Another place on my bucket list, incidentally, because of my obsession yeah, with K-drama. Yeah, I love South Korea. I yeah. lived there when I was in the military. And really? my daughter taught English there. Uh-huh. I lived wow. there for two years. And so this was a, it was a trip with a friend that had never been in South Korea. And so wow. I wanted to show them around. And I thought, you know, when I get back, I want to have some ho- tough conversations with Ben because even though he wasn't an addict, um, he was definitely struggling, as many young men are, what to do with himself. He had a business. It, it didn't work out well. Should he go to college? He had put off going to college because he wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so I knew that he was sad and struggling and uh, upset about the business. I just never, and I knew I wanted to have a big talk with him about life and what's he going to do going forward. But while I was gone, this happened. He, they went to a party, they got drunk and they decided they were going to try heroin. Oh and my. he was six foot eight, big guy. They gave him too much and he just died instantly. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we always think our kids are safe. We've got them past those tough teenage uh. years. And, and, and I think now that, I think now that people, that was his destiny. It was his time to go, and my destiny was to learn how to live without him and to create a new life out of the ashes of the old one of mine and in a way that honors him. And so that's why I wrote the book, and that's why I teach, and that's why I do all the things I do, have classes on on grieving and loss and, and things, because my mission is to help people. If I can touch one person who is struggling and stuck in their grief and loss, that's what that's what I'm here to do. So, Karen Johnson, were you were you married at the time? Was this a grief that you shared with the father of Ben? No, we were divorced. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did did that make it feel more alone to you? Um. Oh gosh, it's hard to say. You know, it's all those complications of dealing with another person mm. that it's it's hard to say, especially when you're not getting along. Okay. So, okay. Um, yeah, it it might not it might have been more difficult. Okay. So we're chatting with Karen Johnson, 203-333-9422, if you want to participate a little bit in this. Um, And um, I want to just read a little bit from your book. You wrote, I was a slave to the fears, desires, and expectations of success at any price for 30 years. I would have been one of those who walked by Joshua Bell. I love that story. Tell us the story of Joshua Bell. Oh, yeah. Joshua Bell, famous violinist, right? He tickets are $200 a person, you know, very famous, very well-known. So as an experiment, the Washington Post had him come to the Metro in downtown D.C., dressed more like a homeless person. He's got this gazillion-dollar violin that he's playing, and he played for, I forget how many minutes, 45 minutes, and I think um, only a few people stopped. I think he got $11 in his bucket, And people mostly just rush past him, busy, busy, busy on their way to work. I can't stop. I can't listen. I got to go. I got to get to work. 
those sorts of things. And so I probably would have been one of those too. I would have noticed it and said, hmm, well, you know, I just don't have time for that. I have to get to work. I am one of these important people that are fluttering around here. So sometimes right. it takes just... something really big to break through your own ego. Yeah. Isn't that the, isn't that true? Don't you see it that Karen true. Johnson as ego being the biggest block to progress for people? I think so. Yeah. And you know, it's not, it's, there's a Alexander de Bouton. I have some information from him. He's, he's a great psychosocial uh, writer. And he, he said, you know, it's really not that we are so greedy, but it's, it's not that, but it's that we get these rewards that come with success, love and um, respect and so many different things, all the intangibles. And so we really want those intangibles. It's not so much that we're so greedy and egotistical, but we really, we want those intangibles. Well, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be loved. There's nothing wrong with wanting those intangibles in life, right? No, there's nothing wrong with it except when it becomes all-consuming, when you can't see your way out of anything but more, 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 higher, 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 and maybe at the price of a spiritual path or maybe at the price of practicing beauty in your life. I know I went from my garage to the garage downtown for 30 years. People always say, oh, your skin is so fantastic. Well, that's because... I was like a hothouse flower. I went from garage to garage to inside to inside for 30 years. And I was one of those people that would have said, I don't take vacations. I am too busy. Mm. I blah, 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 blah. Right. So, um, and I was busy and I, you know, but when you get into it to the point that you're missing out on life, that you're not spending the time with your children and your spouse and just being home and just being with yourself and finding things that make you happy that's when it gets out of control. And so when Ben passed, suddenly it was like I was thrown out of the matrix, so to speak. I mm. I woke up and looked around and said, what am I doing? I hate this. I'm driving in the second worst traffic in the United States twice a day from anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours. I'm working all day long. My weekends are busy, busy trying to catch up with things. And half the time I'm working on the weekend. And my office is piled to the ceiling with briefs and boxes and papers. And what am I doing? And I'm surrounded by people that are doing the same thing and can't see their way out and not doing anything differently. It's a big decision so, that you made to quit the federal judgeship. Big decision. Yeah. Huge. How old were you when you did it? How much more of your working life did you have ahead of you? Well, I was 62. Okay. So you're mm-hmm. young. So I could yeah. Retire. Very young. Yeah. That's young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And how yeah, long so, had you been a judge, Karen? How long had you been a judge? I had been a judge since um, 9-11 was 2001, right? So 2001 to 2017, so 16 years, something like time. that. That's a long time mm-hmm. to be a judge. And what kind of judging did you do? I know it's administrative, but were you doing immigration? What were you doing? Energy. 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 So gas, electric. Uh, it was very interesting. It was very science-oriented. It was a big switch for me. I had done disability work before that and years and years and years in criminal law. Okay. And I just burned out on criminal law. I just sure. couldn't take any more. It was yeah. hard. It's hard. Uh, the yeah. horror of it is just terrible. So I just decided I was going to switch over to something different, entirely different. Don't you think it's 
sort of a pun of the universe that you were in energy law as a judge and then now you're in energy work as a human? I know, isn't that funny? great? Yeah, <laughs> it's sort isn't of funny, great? right? It is funny. It is funny. Now, what is chapter three says, West practices of the medicine wheel. What is the medicine wheel? What is that? Yeah, the medicine wheel. So it's in um, all over the world. It's like a circle. And it's the circle. It's an energetic circle that we go around and around. And we've learned different things in each part of the medicine wheel. And so the, the, the medicine wheel that I practice with is Indian. And it begins in the south direction. In North America, it mostly begins in the east direction. And that's because of the cosmology. So the southern cross is in the south direction. So, um, And it's there's archetypal energies at each part. So south, west, north, and east are the four main parts of the medicine wheel. And, and they symbolize different ways of healing. And so in the south direction, the archetypal energy is a serpent. So serpent shedding its skin. We want to be like serpents, shedding its skin and all our old stories, right? We get so caught up in our stories. This happened, that happened. This person did this to me. That person did that to me. My mother, my father, my sister, my brother, ah, you know, story, story, story. So it's breaking free of those old stories so that we can walk in beauty on the earth. And so in the, the West direction, yeah, oh, ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm very, what do you, but the medicine wheel, is that I'm not really understanding what that is. Is that like a um, a spiritual guide of some kind? Is it a, a physical yeah. wheel? What what is it? What what is it? It is a it's a metaphor for the circle, great circle of life. Okay. So you find these circles everywhere, and it's a circle of how we can transform our lives energetically by walking this path, I walking see. this spiritual path. 
embodies different doctors and healing energies. And so there was a whole big compound. Uh, even Oprah went. So, I mean, it was very, Sounds very cultish famous. to me, Karen Johnson. Doesn't it sound a little culty to you? A little, a little scary um, there? No, not culty because no people don't stay and get trained and indoctrinated. This is something where people kind of come and go through and then oh, okay. leave, right? So okay. it's not that okay. people come and live and stay, right? Okay, okay. And okay. so, yeah, so people come and visit and, and things like that. And, and then, unfortunately, as with many, uh, we're finding with many of our spiritual leaders, so there's the light and the dark, and his dark side came out, and he's been accused of multiple rapes, including his own children. And so he's there it is. That's what I mean by the cult thing. You know, it was interesting. I don't know anything about him. I hadn't Googled him. I just read your book. Yeah. But I had like red flags about him when even when you were writing about him. But so I'm not surprised. But tell me about what you experienced. Let's hear. So it's not the the beauty of it is it's not all dependent on John of God being there. Mm -hmm. There's entities and energies in that place. It's a very spiritual place that people have come for years and years. And um, so my experience there was um, you line up and you go in to, to see him, you know, to, and he tells, says basically what sort of spiritual intervention would be good. So you tell them what things you're concerned about. And, and then he recommends something, crystal beds or, um, just a variety of things, praying, whatever he recommended for, for you to help on your healing path. And there were several things at the, the CASA that you could you could do. And so, um, and then you go and you sit in a room, sort of a waiting room, and you meditate ahead of time. And then he comes in and um, <laughs> it's so much fun. I mean, there's so much that goes on there. It's hard to explain it in, in one sitting. It's You go in, you sit, and then really you're being cleansed and purified by different entities and energies as you're sitting waiting. And then he comes in and he brings down this healing entity or energy. And there's several that he worked with. And then they would, you would walk up and, and, and he would say, this is what she needs. That's what she needs, whatever, and and go on and and take care of that. But um, it, it, it was amazing. It was truly amazing. And then um, you go back to your room and for, 24 hours, you stay in your room and you don't watch TV and you don't read. You just kind of stay quiet and and your food is brought to you. And then I had a vision. One night I, I woke up and, and I saw this spirit standing by my bed. And as with Ben, once I saw him, I was awakened and open to seeing entities and energies. And, and I said, well, who are you? And I'm, he said, I'm Dr something, Juan de Dios or something. I can't remember what he said. And um, and he said, and I said, what are you doing? And all of a sudden something really hurt in my lower abdomen. And he's like, well, I'm taking out this that you don't need. I'm taking this out. And so um, he did, something happened and then energetically and I went back to sleep. And then the next day I woke up and I was sort of bleeding vaginally. And so whatever it is he took out, I don't know what it was, but something definitely happened. Something and happened to you. it was a psychic you. surgery. Mm-hmm. A psychic surgery. That's what you called it. A psychic surgery. Mm-hmm. I never heard of psych- anything like that before. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's uh, it's not uncommon. There have been many people that do psychic surgeries um, over time, but um, certainly John of God is a very famous one, and he's done many. 
We were just talking earlier about psychic surgery. Karen, you have to know that a lot of people listening to the show right now are scratching their heads and saying this sounds very cultish, very weird, and a little scary. What do you have mm-hmm. to say? What do you have to say about that? Because it, it is a little bit fear inducing to think about some spirit coming in and doing something to your body and then you bleed. That's sort of scary to me. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that totally. <laughs> and I might have been, I think, before I embarked on this journey, I, I left my job. Um, I retired. I sold all my household goods, my house, my cars, everything. And went on a two and a half year journey around the world, looking into spiritual practices in Africa and uh, India, Bangladesh, Chile, Brazil. So by the time I got to John of God, I was pretty um, open to experiences with spiritual beings. And remember, I began to see Ben after he passed over, and I began to see other spirits that had also passed over. And so seeing spirits to me, was more commonplace than it is to most people. Most people, and and I said the same thing. I mean, when my parents died, I thought, I don't want to see any spirits. I don't Mm. want them to come. No, no, no. I know that sounds scary and terrifying, but I think over time, it just became with the introduction through Ben and that doorway being opened through death where I could see spirits and interact with them. it, It wasn't it wasn't shocking for me. Can you conjure them? Can you ask Ben to appear for you, or does he only appear when he wants to? Oh, no, we work together. I mean, he helps me. Trans- I do a lot of work with transitioning souls that are stuck in between worlds um, after they've passed and working with families that are when someone is dying and helping someone to cross over. So he does come um, sometimes. He's like a 27-year-old, though. He'll say, Mom, quit ringing my doorbell here. I'm busy. I'm doing things over here. I'm in, uh, you know, I'm, last time he said, I'm in the Jesus pod. And this is very cool. So you're fine. You're fine. You don't need me. So, do you, do yeah. you, do you, are you a lot less afraid of your own death now because these spirits are familiar to you, Karen? Yes. I think many of us are really, the reason we kind of isolate and um, compartmentalize those who are uh, bereaved and we push them to get over it and move on and not talk about it. It's because really we're afraid of our own mortality. We're afraid of death. And my experience is we never really die. We, our energy just transforms and we go on to the other side. Whatever you might think it be, however you want to talk about it, the Tibetans talk about it one way, Christians talk about it another way. Um, Islam talks about it a different way because scholars study and they entrain together and they explore the worlds beyond death. And so um, as they work together and, and entrain together and study together, they came up with a map. And there are many maps for life after death and many people who have had near-death experiences that talk about their experiences after death. So death is a transition not an ending and is it a transition in your view to an afterworld where you stay there whatever forever means or do you believe in reincarnation as well me personally i think that yes i think that there we can be reincarnated if we wish to do that again 
um, I think there's places we can go where we don't have to be reincarnated. Even in the Buddhist realm, it's Amitabha Buddha is um, in master of the realm of Sukhavati. It's a place where people go, souls go that aren't quite ready for nirvana, but don't want to be part of the great wheel of uh, reincarnation again. And so, you know, that's a personal belief, but heaven, um, are people going to be stuck in purgatory or can they go to heaven? So there's many religions that talk about places in between. And what about responsibility to the extent we have any for the sins we commit on this earth? What do you think about that? I think that we create hell on earth for ourselves. I don't think there's hell. I think we've created it all around us with the way we live our lives. And so when our soul leaves, we have this opportunity to look at all these ways that we've lived our life and how we might have done it all better. But what if we've inflicted pain on other people? Do we have any kind of spiritual uh, baggage with that? Do we have debts that have to be paid like Brian Weiss talks about? What do you think about that? I think that there are maybe debts. I think there are debts that have to be paid, but maybe not in the way we think about it. So in the Indian cosmology, we talk about different realms that souls might rest in while they're healing, like a stone world. The stone world is kind of dark and heavy, not much there. That can be a place where souls have to go to recover, to sort of penance, if you will, until they're ready to go up to another level. Um, so there's the plant kingdom, there's the animal kingdom, and then there's the realm of the ancestors where we get to be with all our ancestors who are crossed over. So I think that there's places of healing, and I think there's places of where we stay and um, atonement. But I've never come across hell. I think hell is what we make here on Earth. We're chatting with... Karen Johnson. The book is called Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. And it's toward the end of the book where you say, I floundered around trying to find someone to blame so I could abandon my personal responsibility for the life I created. I wanted to be a victim. I felt like a victim. How had this Mm. happened to me, to my family? I felt ashamed and disgraced and singled out. I was angry and I wanted revenge. I blamed everyone and everything around me, the police for not stopping the drugs, the dealer for selling the drugs, Ben's friends for not watching out for him, his father for not being around enough, and the list went on and on. I blamed myself Mm -hmm. too. I looked back at every decision I had ever made and wondered what would have happened if I had chosen the other fork in the road. And then you say, I can tell you that those obsessive thoughts led to madness. So Mm -hmm. essentially... With the minute that we have left, Karen Johnson, your spiritual journey, which I imagine is still a journey, right? We're still on this journey. Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. what, is, what is it that you wish to tell us that you have recognized in your wisdom about grief? That, <clears throat> that grief is a journey. And what, we're all on this journey. It's not something that has a timeline or a deadline, time for you to move on, time to go. You're on your own personal journey. And it is a personal journey and a process of becoming unstuck from your grief and, and, and the addictive nature of grief to a process of um, creating a new life out of the ashes of the old. 
And that's my book. That's really, there's 16 practices and ways that you can start to move that energy so that so that you're not just stuck in your suffering and ruminating about these old stories and shame, blame, guilt, where we star as the protagonist like we had control over everything, and we didn't, mm. and we and don't. we didn't, and we don't. And how can people reach you, Karen Johnson, if they want you know, to know more of you and to maybe consult with you and get help from you? How would they find you? Sure. KarenJohnson.net. You can find me on my website, and you can uh, contact me through there, and I have um, sessions, shamanic sessions, and I also have classes on grief and loss, and and I'm in the middle of one right now that um, we work in community on Zoom and work through all the practices in the book to help, help people heal. Karen Johnson, thank you so much for being on the show. And I, I wish you beautiful, beautiful everything on your journey. I do. Thank you. Thank you. Same to you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com.